0: From Miami Law, I'm Annette Uguez and this is the Explainer.
1: So that tells me that there are politicians, elected officials who are willing to sort of look at the data, look at the effect and, you know, what what benefit are we receiving by forcing people into homelessness?
0: Welcome back to the Miami Law Explainer, the legal affairs podcast where Miami Law experts lend context and historical relevance to today's headlines. Ten years ago, a colony of sex offenders lived under one of Miami's most beautiful bridge spans connecting Miami to Miami Beach, drawing national and international attention. They were there because of draconian residency restrictions. Available or affordable housing was scant for the scores of offenders, so they clung to concrete pylons in tents and makeshift shacks from 10pm until 6am, month in and month out, without plumbing or electricity. Miami Law's Director of the Tenants' Rights Clinic, Jeffrey Hearn, who is also the Director of Litigation at Legal Services of Greater Miami, has represented Miami's homeless sex offenders as the city has continued to push the encampments, keeping the population unsafe and unstable. Let's go to executive producer Catherine Skip with the interview. Good morning,
2: Jeffrey. Thanks for coming in. Good morning.
0: I'd love to talk about the progress that's been made in
2: adopting sensible residency restrictions for sex offenders in Miami. So what's happened in the 10 years since the encampment under the bridge closed?
1: Well, after the bridge closed, after the Julia Tuttle Causeway encampment closed, the county provided relocation assistance to the residents. Those residents, it was temporary assistance. So they moved into to properties, and if they weren't able to afford the rent, many of them were displaced, evicted, moved on. Um... There were a lot of residents who moved into a mobile home park along the Miami River um, because it was an eligible location under the, the county's residence restrictions. Um, unfortunately, the, the county discovered that there was a, a facility for children across the river. You had to walk all the way around around the bridge to get to it. Um, but it was within 2,500 feet and the, the county determined it was a school. Uh, so they told all of the individuals who were living in that park to leave. Um, about that time is when an encampment started to, started to form in Hialeah. Uh, it was in the warehouse district. You know, there's no no facilities, nothing nearby. Um, and that encampment started to grow. People were being released from prison, being given that address, and they would go to the address, thinking they would find a shelter there and find that it. You know what? I just got to pitch a tent and and live out here. Uh, so at its height, there were about 260 to 270 people registered there at night. Usually about 80 to a hundred there, were actually there at night. Um, That was about when we filed a lawsuit uh, against the county challenging the residence restrictions because the county goes further than state law. The county says that somebody who is uh, whose victim is under 16, they cannot live within 2,500 feet of a school. And what we found is that when you put in that restriction plus affordability, makes most of the county unavailable. Uh, 99.9% of the county is unavailable. Our our expert uh, determined that there was about 300 units available countywide um, that would meet that requirement. So we brought a broad challenge that was dismissed. We appealed it to the 11th Circuit only on an ex post facto challenge. Um, the 11th Circuit reversed, and it came back down, and, and we litigated that case. Um, while we were waiting for our case to go to trial the county wanted to, started to receive complaints from property owners whose businesses were around the encampment out in Hialeah. Mm-hmm. And those um, the, the county wanted to shut down the encampment, but they didn't have a way to do it. So the county has a camping ordinance, um, which ironically was passed, not, not to deal with homeless issues, but to deal with the Occupy movement when camps formed downtown uh, near, near City Hall. So <clears throat> in that ordinance... There was an exception to make sure it wasn't to be used against the homeless. It was a, an exception that's sort of like the Pottinger uh, Pottinger requirements, which is a, a famous case against the city of Miami, um, which says that somebody cannot be arrested for camping in public unless they are first offered shelter and they decline it. Mm-hmm. So that was a problem for um, our for people who were covered by the residence restrictions because there is no shelter that they can move into. Right. So what the county did is they went in and they carved out an exception to that exception so that individuals who were covered under the residence restrictions could be arrested for camping in public, um, even if they didn't have anywhere they could go. So in, uh, in January of 2018, the county passed that ordinance. Um, and then in April of 2019, the, the county, or I'm sorry, April of 2018, the county moved in to close down the encampment. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did file a, a lawsuit trying to get an injunction in that case. It was denied. Um, and the encampment was ultimately closed. And of course, people just scattered to other street corners, right? It didn't really solve the problem. It just mm-hmm. moved them elsewhere. Um, we went to trial in, in October of 2018 Had a five-day trial in uh, district court here, uh, here in Miami, um, and the court ruled that, unfortunately, we, we did not prevail. The court ruled that uh, the ordinance was not punitive, and therefore it could apply to people whose crimes occurred before the ordinance was enacted. So our client said crimes had occurred well before the ordinance was enacted in 2005. Um, we have appealed that, that decision on a very limited grounds about whether um, we were able to, uh, to include an as-applied challenge. Um, in the middle of trial, and that issue is up on appeal at the Eleventh Circuit right now.
2: Um, so, who are the people that are living in in these in, encampments or on street corners or however this forced nomadic uh, existence? Just uh, who are they, and and how are they hurt by this kind of life?
1: Well, it's interesting because they're not the traditional homeless. These are people who many a times who have jobs. Have homes have friends and family they could live with, so it's interesting you go out there in the evening because many of them have those who are on um, uh, on probation have to be there between certain hours and you know you see people driven up in cars and being dropped off um, by by family members or, or friends um, so these are not you know what you would think of as as homeless individuals because they have places they could go. Um, you know, like I said, many of them do have jobs, some of those that don't, or even those that have jobs during the day, they go to people's homes within 2,500 feet of a school Mm -hmm. shower, maybe spend the day there. Of course, that's when children are actually in theory could be close to there. And, um, it's not often
2: you see children in playgrounds between 10 PM and 6 AM.
1: Right. And then actually this, this, the accounting ordinance has nothing to do with playgrounds, just schools. Mm Um, but, but yeah, exactly. So, so offenders cannot be around schools during the hours within which children are not there. Doesn't, doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, but, you know, this is a really tough life. Like living out, being homeless is challenging, right? Um, you know, and I think as evidence of that, um, we learned the lesson the hard way this summer when two of our plaintiffs in our lawsuit passed away. Um, and I, i I know that living out on the street. Played a role in that, Mm -hmm. right? Um, You know, one of them was in his 70s. He couldn't walk because he broke his hip in prison. was in a wheelchair, living in a tent at night. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he unfortunately passed away this summer. Another one was a mentally disabled man um, who was also had been living on the street for several years.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe we should talk a little about best practices. I mean, it would stand to reason a stable offender is much less likely to offend if this person was in your family, you would not, as as a parent, think, oh, this is the great thing we should do is like, go put this person out and make them homeless because that'll certainly help their rehabilitation or stabilize their existence.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think all the studies show that stable environments is one of the most important things to assist somebody um, as they re reenter society. The other thing to keep in mind is that, you know, we use the term sex offender and that applies to a very large group of people and not everyone is the same i think the best practice would be to make a determination on what's appropriate for each person based upon their individualized risk um so obviously those who are the most extreme risk they are often sometimes civil, civilly committed mm-hmm. um, so they aren't even out in in the public and of course then the risk varies greatly right as the the longer they're out um some of the studies show that an individual who has committed one of these offenses is is no no less likely than anyone else walking down the street. If you go out twenty years, um, looking at their their history, um, also risk goes down with age. Many of these individuals who are out there are are getting up there in years because they've been released from prison after being in, in prison for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, know, you
2: do have some Romeo and Juliet's out there.
1: You do. Um I know people bring that up a lot but mm-hmm. I uh, I honestly did not see very many of those. No, it's a
2: small but, percentage but those should feels like should not be treated the same correct. as
1: Well there is an exception in, in the county's ordinance that it's very narrow but but you could fall into that if you're what's a classically a you know a Romeo Juliet situation. Mm-hmm. But you know even within our plaintiffs we had a wide wide group of, of plaintiffs. We had a man who um although he disputed some of these facts, you know, he took he pled to elude and lascivious charge back in the nineties, before any of this happened, you know, before any of these residence restrictions were in place. And the accusation, um, was that during an argument with another man, he exposed himself and there was a child present. That's it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And because of that, because he took a plea on that, um, he was now forced to live on the street, which is a crazy, you know, his risk, his risk was probably almost nothing.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, So it seems as though the needle has not moved very far uh, in Miami and the problem is exactly the same as when they were under the bridge, although they're not under a beautiful bridge between two posh neighborhoods anymore. Um, So what what needs to be done? And is there any hope? These these are a group, a population that politically politicians love to hate. Um, it's a voter issue, oh he's pro sex offender like how do we ever move out of where we are?
1: you know it's it's very easy to get pessimistic in in this area um because there's not a lot of good stuff that that happens, but you know there are some some successes in the courtroom we weren't we weren't fortunate here in Miami to have that on uh, the sixth circuit there was a success in the state of Michigan against residence restrictions um but but I am optimistic, but that ultimately there could be political success. Palm Beach County several years ago repealed their residence restriction. um the city of Fort Lauderdale this past June repealed their residence restriction, so that tells me that there are politicians, elected officials who are willing to sort of look at the data, look at the effect, and you know what what benefit are we receiving by forcing people into homelessness. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, when we if the idea is that we want to know where these individuals live, then putting them into a situation where they can't find housing and they're more likely to to abscond doesn't really help public safety either. Right. Um, so, you know, I mean, one of the the issues we have here is that the the residence restrictions um, are supported by the chair of our homeless trust who in the and the
2: Who's responsible for the residence restrictions all over the country, not just here?
1: Correct, and it's named after his daughter, and and he's and he feels very passionate about this issue, and he's a very powerful man in in Miami Dade County. He's a lobbyist also for the county, so you know that that adds a unique wrinkle here in Miami that perhaps um, you know elected officials in other jurisdictions might not have to deal with. Um, But at the end of the day, you're right, like. I think everybody who takes a vote on these issues is always scared about what the campaign ad will be um against them. But at the end of the day status quo can't remain. We've got people out on the street um which also drains county resources um on our homeless prevention side.
2: Well, Ron Book is getting up in age. Maybe he'll retire sometime. Well, is there any other hope on the horizon?
1: You know, I don't know. We'll ha- we'll also have new we'll have a new commission um next next november a lot of new commissioners next november you know and when when people change policies can change so so who knows
2: anything to add in closing
1: no i think uh, we covered everything
2: well hopefully next time we'll have better news
1: (laughs) i hope so
0: thanks so much thanks for joining us at the explainer If you like the show, leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider and ask your friends to subscribe. You can always drop us a comment at explainer at miami.edu. Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Rady Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Ugas. Today's show was brought to you by the University of Miami School of Law, providing expert teaching in the area of healthcare law. For more information, go to www.law.miami.edu forward slash healthcare law.